Family, as, uh, as, you, as kids are going out, uh, we're going to go ahead and prepare just our hearts and minds in the scriptures. Uh, so let me just pray for us. Um, if you want Bibles, you can raise your hand and we'll get those Bibles out to you. There's Bibles out back. Uh, so we're uh, gathering Bibles, Lee. So a few people raise their hands right here. You got Alex. Which, by the way, I, I, love, I love the Bowmans taking a huge risk and, and doing something that very few people do in kingdom community, and that is move seats. I just think that shows character, Holy Spirit guidance, and I'm proud of you guys, a blazing the trail. Thank you. So, let, me, let me pray for us, guys. Dear Jesus, um, you are so gracious to us, and we just pray that you would guide us, Lord, and um, so allow your name to be exalted, Lord. And I just pray you would speak to our body. Um, Lord, you would um, work in us. Build conviction, Lord. Build biblical frameworks around our souls, Lord, that we could um, please you um, according to the scriptures. We pray that you would uh, build a protection around our hearts um, to be able to live here with longevity uh, to exalt you, to build healthy friendships, uh, to do community where, where Christ is exalted. Lord, pray you give us stamina and passion uh, to want to honor you, Lord, and to want to honor one another because that honors you. Lord, uh, be exalted. Fill us with your spirit. Um, give us the grace uh, to not be filled with arrogance or pride, tiredness, whatever could hinder your ways. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a church, we're going through Proverbs as a book. But as leadership, you know, we uh, got this information f- Friday night. Yeah, Friday night. And, and we just felt it would be very important because we are a family, because this is a close-knit group. We, um, we do kingdom uh, here in a very interesting way. We uh, are very intentional about our proximity. Uh, we're very intentional about our relationships, and so everything's so intertwined. And we decentralize the ministry, uh, where the ministry is us, right? And because of that, uh, we want to continue in that theme, and we want to talk about just some family issues right now today. Uh, the goal is to pause this week, in particular, on, on uh, Proverbs uh, to talk about life in the body, okay? I want, us to, I want you to understand some things uh, biblically. I want us to think about what does it look like to be responding in a way that exalts Christ. Uh, and what does it look like to just do life as a kingdom participant, okay? So, um, so I, want you to, I want you to really... As, as much as you can, ask the Holy Spirit to allow just your eyes to get a little more keener, just your ears, ask the Lord to allow us to hear, uh, think deeply about the scriptures. The scriptures will be online. Uh, and this will, be a, this will be kind of a primer. This is a primer for a discipleship retreat because we're going to enter into these things even on a deeper level, uh, really wanting everybody to be at the discipleship retreat, everybody in Matt group to be at the discipleship retreat um, as we are cultivating a framework of how we're going to do life as a body and family. All right? It's going to be fun. We want to spoil you, but we need to get to work, okay? Because this is bigger than us. And see, that's one thing I want you to keep hearing. This is bigger than us. 
And I want you to hear another thing. This is spiritual. You are here right now. You have kids. You have families. And it's a struggle. If you're here right now and you're single and you're looking at, in your mind, the choices, you're going, man, okay, we need more people to grow in this church. It's a struggle. There's tons of struggles for each person in this body right now to stand firm and fight the fight of faith here. And you need to know Satan is not going to make this easy for us. He's going to use your weaknesses. He's going to use my weaknesses. He's going to use the church's framework. He's going to try to use whatever he can to lie to us, to lie to those around us, so that we cannot present a clear picture of Jesus. We're a portrait. That's what we are. What Jesus does is he's so gracious to say, I'm going to allow the people of God to be a picture. And the way that picture is clear is when we adhere to what God wants us to be about. And then that clearly shows other people, this is what Jesus looks like. And so Satan's goal is not all the time destroying the picture so people can't see anything. It's usually distorting the picture so they get a false gospel. Okay, guys? So stick with me. Um, the situation is unfortunate. It is what it is. Uh, questions I've, I've, I want to pose before you, rhetorical in the, as they were, is, is God surprised? Absolutely not. Can God redeem and do great things through this body? Absolutely. However, it really depends on where we focus our time and who we obey, guys. It depends on our disposition of humility that we are called to portray as a body, okay? So here's what the Lord is forcing all of us to ask as we do life. What does it look like to do life biblically as a body? I want us as your leader to be a healthy church and a church that responds to Christ, accepts his encouragements and his rebukes. We don't want both, but God wants us to embrace both. So I want you to listen hard, okay? Basically, I'm talking about how do we respond? How do we respond in life? Now, now don't get me wrong. The, we, the reality is we've had an unfortunate situation. But really what I'm trying to do today is to pause and say, I want to train you on how to just, at some level, just think a little more biblically in different aspects, okay? I just want you to get the premise here. All right. First, I want us, when we talk about responding, I want us to respond with a robust understanding of the importance of the local church, okay? The importance of the local church. Now, now this summer, we're going to have an ecclesiology series. I'm really excited about that. And I'm going to dive, dive us deep into every aspect as much as I can on what does it mean when we talk church, right? It's going to be pouring out of your ears. You're going to beg me to stop. I'm just kidding. It's going to be fun because we're going, to, we're going to try and learn as a body, like, what does this mean? Because we all have our perceptions and dispositions, and we need to clear all those things up with Scripture. Um, but right now, we're going to talk briefly about the importance of the body of Christ. Now, to the world, 
the body of Christ is a physical, I would say, um, I would say maybe, uh, and you, we can parse this out, um, I would say is, a, is the livelihood of the kingdom. It's the physical representation of the kingdom of God, okay? So people, when people want to understand what the kingdom of God, which we talk about kingdom of God is God's rule primarily, and he rules in places, Okay, but the primary aspect is rule, is that what we do is we remind people of who God is when we, when we let him rule us, okay? So the kingdom comes. We think, think kingdom, can't think place. You have to think rule. So if God isn't ruling you, then you're not bringing in his kingdom. You, you, you get me? So, so we bring God's kingdom in times and places, I always say, I use examples. If me and Matt are at, you know, uh, Legends, and we're hanging, and we're fellowshipping, and we're proclaiming Christ together, and we're edifying one another, in that time, in that booth, in that place, God's kingdom's coming. Okay? What God wants to have happen is that collectively as a whole body of people all over the world in different churches, local bodies, is that God's kingdom is just coming. Is that people get to see his kingdom in different places and in different times as we're making much of Christ, as we're engineers and entrepreneurs and nurses and hairdressers and, and, all, and doctors and all this stuff, and carpenters and all, that God's kingdom comes in those places as students. Genesis talks about this, um, the whole aspect of God creating us, and there's going to be a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to read a ton of them, guys, uh, but I want you to, to, to take those addresses and you look them up. We've gone through most of these scriptures. We've exposited probably for you in this body. Um, this whole creation mandate, the God, what he does, he, he creates us as his image bearers to remind him of himself. Then he says, I'm going to give you this world, and I'm going to give you this stuff in this world. And what I want you to do is act like me in, you know, in character and then take care of the stuff like I would take care of it. Um, Luke 17, he talks about uh, the kingdom of God being in you. Okay? What does that mean? I hope it makes more sense now. Right? It means that, uh, that when you are letting God rule you, the kingdom is coming. Um, so God has that being, the desire of the local church is for us to be God's kingdom coming, to represent Jesus. And one of the main ways we do that is John 17. It talks about unity. That the way we represent a clear picture is, is when we, in all of our junk, we lock arms and we're united. And when the world sees that uncommon commonality, they know it's supernatural because the world knows how to be disunited. That's all too familiar for unbelievers. It's easy. The supernatural thing is to be united. And when you say that, you know, we have, we have a document in our book uh, called Importance of the Local Church. And I talk about um, in this document, I, just, I try to make it clear, guys, that you and I, we have the power. What Jesus has done, this is very humbling. He says each one of you, moment by moment, has the power to either add or detract from unity. In every moment. When you're at, you leave here and you go to some shop, you know, and you start talking about the sermon. There's an opportunity right there to add or detract. And here's the thing. You can disagree and still add to unity. It's not about catering to me. 
It's about your heart. And you all know that, right? You know when your heart has been grabbed and when you have a disposition of suspicion versus a disposition of trust, and it changes everything. God is saying unity, it reminds people that I'm united with the Trinity. It reminds people that God is one. It reminds people that you are one with me. It reminds people that only God can do that thing, and then people want Jesus. And so when people see disunity, they go, I can get that at home. I don't need Christ to be disunited. Why am I going to come to Christ when y'all acting just like me? Ephesians 2 talks about the two becoming one, a whole Jew-Gentile. That was a big issue back then, right? You had the Jews, and they thought the Gentiles, which were many of us, were just jacked up. And, G- and Paul says, you don't get it. It's not options. I'm not, I'm not just kind of saying it would be really cool if we were united. I'm saying the gospel hinges on this. If you guys don't unite, you, you, you don't get the gospel. My point, I'm just trying to say that when you think about the importance of the local church, Unity should be in that paragraph somewhere. Extremely important, family. We're on the same page. God is saying that you and I, he's created us to bear his image, to remind people of himself, and he's created us to say, hey, we need to be united. So consider that as we go forth and as we respond, as we do life. That's what God wants, okay? Let's continue to unpack he also wants us to respond knowing that relationships uh, in a local church is messy. So he wants us to be united, okay? So that was real cool, theological, yeah, praise the Lord, Jew and Gentile, Holy Spirit, yay. But then you put it on the ground, right? And now here's a kicker at MacF. You want to put it on the ground on a whole nother level, okay? Because it's cool to be united when I can leave you and be 40 minutes from you. I can be united on that level because they ain't got to see you. I get to push it. I, get to, I can either yield to the spirit for an hour and a half or I can say, let me just, just, just shut the flesh up for an hour and a half if I see you and I don't like you. The difference here is we're saying we're committed to be neighbors. We're going to do life. We're going to raise our kids. I'm not going to like the way you parent. You're not going to like the way I parent. I'm not going to like the food you cook. You're not going to like the food I cook. I'm not going to like the way you talk to your wife. You're not going to like the way I talk to my wife. You see what I'm saying? And I'm going to see you like six times in a week. Oh, my goodness. Why you keep walking past my house? Right? That's the community you want signed up for. That's the community we live in. Me and Josh, one of my closest friends, had a huge issue last year. And for months, we didn't even really speak. See? But if you're not, if you're not close, it's like, who? Out of sight, out of mind. Had to keep seeing him. <laughs> he had to keep seeing me. That's messy. And Satan knows it. Again, it's common to be disunited. It's uncommon to fight for that. So the scriptures say, so I'm to say life, life um, and you guys, this, we're just testifying that, right? Life as a body is hard. It's hard, right? Um, it requires bearing with and forgiving one another in order to grow as individuals and a body in Christ's likeness. You, you hear that? 
So when it's messy, it requires forgiveness and forbearance, right? It requires seeing people that apart from the cross, you wouldn't talk to. And God is asking you to be a family with them. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. So, so the scriptures are clear in Romans 3 that we're born sinners, right? Now stick with me, okay? I don't let my tears hinder you from hearing God's truth. So, we will always fight the old nature as new created beings, Okay? So I just want to make sure, if, if, if I say something theologically that you don't agree with, because I just want to make sure, I just want to put bare bones here, because I think the bare bones should build conviction. We always fight the old nature. So when we become Christians, our sin does not disappear completely, right? It will decrease over time, we'll grow in sanctification, we'll increase in Christian maturity, um, our sin, you know, but it must be continually put to death. That's what, that's what Colossians 3 is all about. It's all about people. You ever think about that? Why, like, the reason why he says so much about unity and, and, you know, why? Because people weren't being united. Why is there so much talk about unity and forgiving and forbearance and renewing your mind? And so we post that we need to put to death. Why does he use that language? Because we have fooled ourselves in thinking that that happens naturally. We think that, yeah, we just kind of, you know, just go through the flow. I'll kind of become more godly. Where the scriptures are saying you're lying to yourself. The scriptures are saying that, this, that the old self does not want to die. Why do you think you have to put something dead to death? That's how crazy it is. It's dead, and Paul is asking you to put it to death. That's how lively, how much it wants to control us. But we're in one body. Here we are. We're the saints who sin in close proximity with each other. You hear me? You get that? You're going to hurt each other. We're going to sin against each other, and because we're going to sin against each other constantly. You get that? You sure you want to come here, Dex? You're going to sin against us. I want to sin against you. We're going to mess each other up, guys. Paul knew that. Jesus knew that. And his remedy wasn't, so don't be a community. His remedy was, forgive each other. Share your hearts. Be forbearing. Do things that Jesus does, not what Satan does. 
Scriptures are clear. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Paul calls us of sin and forbearance, um, forgiveness and forbearance. I want to um, continue on. We want to get along, guys. We want to provide a redemptive environment. That's what we all came here for. That's why we all neighbor together, uh, love our neighbors. That's why we, you know, do what we do. Um, we have diversity and proximity. But, um, but the hardest thing is how do you stay in the fight? See, see, see guys, the, the world... The world says, you know, I push Matt, and he says, you know what, either, I, either we squabble, we have a fight right there, or I'm done with you. That's what the world does, right? Does the world go, wow, you pushed me, Matt, it really hurt my heart, and I felt really vulnerable when you did that because I thought I shouldn't. When is the last time you heard an unbeliever come to somebody redemptively like that? Unbelievers don't do that because that's supernatural. To, to swallow your pride for the sake of the kingdom, and share your hurts, and to want to rebuke sin for the, for the sake of, his, of, of loving him most, is weird. It's weird. But I'm proposing it's the redemptive answer. The world pushes and you leave, not in kingdom. So, here's community, here's what God's created. Here's what it looks like on the ground with us, kind of messy. Now, what do you do when you deal with the standards of Jesus in community, okay? So now, how do you respond embracing Christ's standards considering that reality? You see where I'm going here? So I'm saying God has given us, boom, this is how I created you. Then, on the ground, specifically in our context, here's what it looks like, kind of messy, kind of crazy. Now, we're jacked up. We're sinners. You got all this stuff going on. We have proximity, but we need to love each other. Forgiveness and forbearance. Forgiveness, forbearance. Forgiveness and forbearance. Now, what about sin? You follow me, guys? How do you handle forgiveness of unrepentant sin in the church? Okay? Or a common word, church discipline. We don't like to hear that. That's a very bad word, especially, may I dare say, with upperly mobile people. Well, who do you mean you're going to discipline me? What I say matters just as much as you. Who are you? We talk about that more at the discipleship retreat. Part of our journey that we're going to really struggle with is cultural, guys. There's some cultural issues here. The way black folks act, the way white folks act, it's kind of different. All right? We'll talk about that at the discipleship retreat. Hope, hope to see you there. So, so what happens? I, I want to propose that forgiveness and forbearance is held um, in balance with Scripture's call to ever-increasing Christ-likeness and holiness. You hear me there? Forgiveness and forbearance, but guess what? God has given standards. There's Christ-likeness. Guess what? If you're a Christian, God wants to make you holy. He says, I made you holy. You're in the heavenlies right now, but you're still supposed to be a good picture. You see that? Christ does that. That's what he wants. We're still on the same page. Okay. So we still need to rebuke and correct those caught in sin. All right? Now, I have an awesome, awesome friend of ours, and I was so humble enough to say, I've never heard of church discipline. Walking with the Lord, character, falling out their pockets, loves Jesus. But I just want you to, I just want you to understand our culture. 
What's the pride? What is church? What does church discipline, dude? Was the, was, the, was the rebuttal. That tells me, someone who's been in church for a long time, we don't do this in local bodies. That's just a sample size. We get very nervous. Or we love the doctrine of it, but when we start actually doing it, we're like, hold up. Hold on. That, that was just good Bible verses. What do you mean I got to actually repent? Right? This is the struggle. And I know what's going on. Now, here's where it's messy. Let's bring it to the ground again. It's messy because we're doing this, and you got relationships and emotion. you got investment. You see that? And what we begin to do is we take Scripture and that stuff of real life and doing life, and we begin to kind of exalt and our practical disposition flows out of this. Guys, may it never be. May it never be. Have the courage to say, no, Christ gets the first voice. The scriptures are clear. Someone's caught in sin. What does it mean, caught in sin? Okay, there's a difference. Hear this. A dude comes into Matt group and says, I struggle with homosexuality. Cool. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to pursue Jesus. I, want the, I believe the gospel. He's in Matt group. A month later, he confesses in Matt group. Guys, I want to confess to you. I just slept with a man last night. Okay. I want to I wanna walk with the Lord, guys. Pray for me. That brother does not leave Matt group. That brother gets embraced, cared for, loved on. I don't care if that journey is his journey for 50 years. He wants to fight. He's desiring to fight. Now, same dude comes into Matt group and says... I struggle with homosexuality. I want Jesus. A month later, guys, I slept with a guy. Okay. Pray. The third month, actually, slept with him. He moved in. He's moved in. Well, you need to get him. I want to, but, you know, it's two months later. Two months later, I... What are you going to do? Well, just, I don't know. Why, why are you worried about me? Why are you not worried about them? What about these other people sitting? That person, we're going to start to go, look, look, man, are you fighting? And if you're not fighting, I'm proposing to you, the scriptures are saying you're unrepentant. And this isn't the community for you. This is for people who want to fight. We don't like that. Let me prove it scripturally. First, the scriptures are clear of what you mean to do with this person. It's first privately, then with one or two witnesses, finally before the church. That's Matthew 18. Um, the reality of sin coming with consequences, Hebrews 12, 6, uh, 6 through 10. I'll give you some scripture references in a moment about uh, some, some of the verses I want to show you guys. Uh, if this person is repentant, though, unrepentant, I want to propose we still love them. Uh, Matthew 5 talks about that. 
we still care for them. But the difference is that when a person is unrepentant, God is saying the best thing he wants us to do is to trust Jesus with him, not our flesh. And the way we do that is by relieving him of the covenant community. So we remove and exclude the unrepentant person from membership in the local body as a sign to the unrepentant person, to other believers, and to the world of the spiritual reality behind unteachability. You hear me, guys? There's three uh, examples of uh, even something that's is more, is more chill than, than an example I gave you guys. I'll just read it to you, okay? In Titus 3, it says in uh, verse 10, well, I'll start in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that uh, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves um, to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Uh, but av- avoid foolish controversies, genealogy, dissensions, and quarrels above about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. I would propose that's even more chill than the example I gave, okay? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I can give you other examples in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, you have the sexual situation where a guy is sleeping with his mom, his uh, stepmom, and they remove him from the body. And then it's proposed that as they remove him from the body, scholarship thinks that in 2 Corinthians, that's the guy they're restoring back into the fellowship because he's repentant actually. Um, My point being is that we see through causing, stirring up division in the body, sexual sin, we even have, we just know general aspects in Matthew 18. We don't even know what the issue is. It's a sin that God says there is a remedy and here's why. Because there's a theological importance to holiness in the camp because God is holy. That is a frame, that is like, that is theology 101 in seminary is that they want you to understand a meta-narrative. And one of the biggest things that they want to teach you in seminary is that God's people are supposed to be holy. And that's why from the beginning, when someone would sin and God would say, hey, you wonder why I'm not blessing you? Yeah, Jesus, you used to bless us. Why are you not blessing us? It's because there's somebody in your, in your camp file, you need to find him and you need to kill him. This is the father speaking. They would find the person and say, sorry, but hey, it's bigger than you. We got to off you, bruh, because we want to bless the whole body. And they would kill him. Now, praise the Lord for Jesus, we ain't got to go kill folk, okay? I'm proposing you, in Scripture, they were killing people for doing things like hiding jewelry, okay? They would kill him. And then, why? Because he was trying to make a theological premise, he was trying to teach us something about God. God is serious about holiness. So that when you go all through the Old Testament, you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus still saying the same thing. But now it's implementing the church where we like, we be gracious, we're kind, we fight together. But man, if you begin to say, I'm not going to listen to God, we say, well, man, you, then you, you, you shouldn't be part of this community. That's, that's not being mean. That's not Eric. That's Bible. So burn the proof is on you. Now I have to go to scriptures and go, why can't, I feel, why can't I do that practically? Why is that an issue? Um, oh, man. Okay. 
So we continue to gently, and now even after we remove someone, guys, we continue to gently instruct them, okay? Now the scriptures are very clear on that as well. Uh, I'm going to talk about responding. So now I've just tried to share. Hmm. Anna, sorry, says yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the beauty of this is, oh, what does it mean to treat someone individually as an unbeliever? Okay. Um, well, think about it. What is it. How do you treat unbelievers? You don't, you don't, yeah, practically, it's, yeah, like, like, I mean, maybe, maybe this was me 10 years ago. I would think, well, I need to kind of make them. I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't even think about how I treated unbelievers. I would just think, they're supposed to be getting something, almost like a spanking. So I'm, I'm supposed to be one of the lashes or something. So maybe that means I need to fold my arms when I see them or kind of like roll my eyes or something. I don't know. And I would just frame my own thinking based on my flesh and not just pause and go, okay, well, how, do, how does God want me to treat an unbeliever? With love and compassion and kindness and gospel centrality and invitation, caring for them. But understanding not to be naive. You still call out the sin. You don't have to dog anybody. Right? So, so it's, it's just, it, when you think about it, God is just saying like Christ would. And, and, but, but guess what? We, but then if they say something that's foul, we go, hey, now. <laughs> or it's... it's it really is an issue of the yielding to the spirit, being in covenant community, talking with people that you know who are wise, and just adhering to what we know. We, how do we treat an unbeliever? We love them. We care for them. We, we, we preach the gospel to them. See, the issue is that they're not believing the gospel, right? If a person's in unrepentant sin, at some level they've said, I don't know if I really believe the gospel. You follow me? Right? Now, now there's, a, there's a difference of, of people who... And he's saying, now here's the deal. He says, treat them like unbelievers. I'm proposing that there's an issue here. He's saying they could be unbelievers, they could not be unbelievers. Right? So this is not about you telling people they're unbelievers. Right? This is about you understanding that God is holy and that there's a standard in the covenant community and that you can love them, but you also hold the line to the standard. You see that, guys? I'm, I'm going to, yeah, so how do we process our grief with people that we love and care for if they're in this scenario? Okay, guys? Now, stay with me here, okay, because this is a lot of information. But I'm wanting us to build a framework or a view of how to do life because this isn't isolated. This is how you're going to be able to apply this in 15 minutes. Right? You're going to be able to apply this all day, every day. If you're wise, by God's grace, you'll be able to apply this a lot. If you're a fool, you won't. You'll be mad at me. Can't believe he said it like that. How he gonna read that verse that fast? Who knows what you, you know? But if you're saying, Lord, okay, what is God saying here? This we can apply this information. Okay, guys. Now, um, I'm gonna answer that, sis, because that's that, that's like a huge part of my of my ending. So if I I'm gonna answer that toward the end, because I want us to pause. I want us to leave on that note. 
Because that's the practical. That's where the rubber meets the road. How do you do this? Uh, what I want to talk about now is, uh, so I'm keeping, I'm, you see the, t- the theme is like respond, 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 right? I respond with love and humility for the greatest good, okay? So, so here's the thing in local church, guys. Now, now, don't miss this. This is very important, family, and I know we're a little over, but this is very important. Do we all have to agree on everything? Well, let's parse that. Core theology, Yes. Core theology, yes. If you don't agree on the core distinctives of orthodoxy, then you cannot partner with the local body. All right? That's not, we're not, it's not my, I'm imploring you, I'm not, it's not about drawing lines in the sands for drawing lines for the sands' sake. This is bigger than us. Jesus is all, he's about his kingdom. He's about bringing his kingdom in. Okay? Kingdom people bring the kingdom in. So if you are not, if you're saying, yeah, I, I believe this part of the gospel, but not this part, we're saying, then you probably, you can come hang out. We can, we don't love you, but we're not going to put you in believer status. You're not going to be leadership status. You follow me? That really makes sense, right? Okay, so core theology, yes. Now, so we're God's household, talks about in Ephesians 2, building, we build a foundation. First uh, Corinthians 3 says, you know, Christ is doing this foundation action, laying it, and we get to build on it. I mean, this is serious business. God is saying there is a clear framework, bedrock, that we all need to be about. Okay, understanding repentance, atonement, forgiveness, justification. These things that, by God's grace, I hope I've been training and teaching you for years. Those things... We shouldn't be arguing about at the bar. Now, method. No and yes. Let me say that again. Now, hear me here, guys. This is very important. Should you agree? Court theology, yes. On method, no and yes. Don't miss this because this is very important as we, guys, here's the thing. We are trying to be about God's kingdom business here. And so, as much as I can without trying to, not trying to pit things, I'm just trying to say, if at the end of the day, I want you to get this clearly because you got to decide, is this your thing? You just need to decide that. And you don't need to be mad at me or the body. We don't need to be mad at you. It don't have to, we don't have to go out like that. We can go out with great maturity. So here's the thing. No. No, in fact, like, um... You don't have to agree with our method to be a Christian, okay? That's no. So you don't have to agree on our method to say, I love Jesus. I just don't want to do what y'all doing. And you're not bad Christian. You're not immature Christian. You're not, there's nothing wrong with you on paper. I don't know your heart. There's nothing wrong with you on paper. And we are not going to trip on you if you just don't agree with our method and want to go somewhere where your wings can sprout and fly. That's okay, Please hear that. That's okay. Now, but you need to agree. So, yes, a resounding yes. Hear that yes. Yes, you need to agree if you want to be an effective member of a local body. If you are a disgruntled member of a local body and you don't agree with their methods, you are killing that church. You are not helping Jesus. Do you hear me? If you are a disgruntled member and every time they do something, you don't like it, 
It's best for you to go to a place that you can celebrate because you are hurting the kingdom. The kingdom. At the end of the day, our methods are so fallible and jacked up, but we're going for what we're going for, and we're going to do it as a family. And if you can't be down, that's okay. You, don't, you shouldn't be here cantankerous, making it cantankerous and poisonous and filling people with thoughts. It doesn't help Jesus. This is about Jesus. Jesus. I'm begging you to consider that every person who I'm looking at eyeball to eyeball and hear my voice, I am begging you for the sake of the kingdom to go to your house and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, can I celebrate that leadership? Can I celebrate that vision? Not tolerate it, not wait until they figure out they need to do it like me. Can I celebrate what they are doing? If the answer is maybe or kind of, you probably shouldn't be here. And that's okay. That's okay. But before you leave, you don't have to go breaking windows and kicking people in the shin and putting people in the DDT. And you ain't got to go through all that. <laughs> be about kingdom and just exit for the sake of the glory of God. Because it's bigger than us. Do you understand me, family? If you've heard anything today, hear that. And you tell that to other Mac group members who aren't here. And you tell that to every person who's affected at any level at Mac Ave. People come and say, oh, I can't stand to do that. Well, they do this. Well, well, I can. Why are you here? We're trying to be about kingdom. Why are you hating? Stand up for your king and stand up for your kingdom here. Because that's satanic. Now, so hear me, no and no and yes. People don't like to hear that, guys. Celebrating the community, what does that mean? Celebrating discipleship. At the end of the day, this is what we're doing. For God's grace and in his humor, he's made me your, he's made me your leader. Joke's on you, okay? You, that, it is what it is. I'm your leader. We've implemented discipleship. You know, one thing that Mike Fang said, it was so deep. He was like, you know, he, the thing, and now hear this. This is not about exalting our church. I just think this is so true. He was like, if you go to a church, usually, and you say, you ask a member in the body, what, what's, your, what's your guy's vision? They'll be like, uh, you know, bring people to Christ, share the gospel and stuff. Can we keep it real? We'll like, the, the issue that really rubs people in this local body, guys, can I tell you what it is? Can we just keep it real? Is at the end of the day, we've been very clear on what we're going to do. We've been very clear on how we're going to do it. We've been very clear on who we're going to talk to and what we're going to do. We've been very clear on that you got to move here, proximity, all those things. We've been extremely clear. In fact, to get into discipleship, you got to go through three, four meetings. Extremely clear. And in a day and age in America where people say, no, I want it my way. I'm about Burger King up in here. My way. So what do you mean you're you going to tell me what I got to do, when I got to do it? You're going to give me a book and tell me to teach this book? Well, I teach my own book. I'm going to take them through this because I know this. I got the Holy Spirit in me too. You know, all this stuff. And that's what we do. And it rubs prideful people when they're not the leader. 
At the end of the day, you mad because God was funny and made me your leader. That's the issue. And I'm asking you with great humility, repent. Repent of that madness. And make this the day where you celebrate Macav. Where you celebrate this vision. Where you celebrate this ministry. Or graciously say, I just, I got to go somewhere else. But why sit around and dog and be cantankerous? That doesn't help the king. And you know what? At the end of the day, we ain't, we're just here doing our little thing in our community. I'm like, we ain't trying to, we're just doing our thing. People come here, come to, we ain't dragging people here with chains and, you know, you know shooting them with poison darts and dragging them in. And they wake up, we're like, know our vision, be about our vision. None of that. You drive here. You came here. And then you find out what we're about, we're very clear, and you get mad at me. Like there's something up my sleeve. You get in discipleship and thinking, man, I thought in six months you would have changed. No, 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 no. We told you this is what we're about. You sat at the dinner table. You looked us in the eyes. You signed a document. I ain't make you do none of that. And then you're mad because it's not your way. You knew that coming into this. And then we wreck things because we're pissed. We just wreck them. Well, I ain't get my way. It's ungodly, guys. It's not right. It's not right. Whether you like it or not, if you're going to be a part of a local church, if you leave here, you go to another church, you've got to celebrate what they're about. For whatever reason, God chose that man to be the leader. You have to agree. Mandate of discipleship. Our MAC distinctives, outreach, MAC groups, our discipleship binder, our emphasis on location for the health of the body. Those are non-negotiables. We've been about that from day one. At the end of the day, people can make all kinds of assumptions about this local body, but we have been true north the whole time. We have never lied. We have never done the whole sleight of hand thing. We've been clear as day. Clear. Ask yourself those questions. Finally, guys, we respond with remembrance. Thanks for giving me your time. Um, guys, there are many ways to do church. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was going to even talk about that and trust and suspicion. Um, I hear that now. So, so you own a vision because if you own a vision and you're about it, and now you got to do you got to do some 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 heart gymnastics here, okay? Because you can you can you can act like you own a vision. You can think you own a vision, but if you're always questioning a the vision, then you don't own a vision. You follow me? There's a difference, okay, between hey, can we say can we do these things more graciously or something like that? Owning a vision versus there's no grace, <laughs> you know, or why, well, why do we want people to, why do people have to live here? That's a vision issue. Why are you in discipleship? That's my question. So, 
so for sure, people, we would say, if you have a beef, first of all, guys, that's how we've given you, we've tried, at the end of the day, we've tried to give you ample community. We've given you a one-on-one person to talk to. We've given you a mat group to talk to. Okay, guys, I know I'm jacked up. I'm not, again, you know I, I understand my sinfulness. But guys, at the end of the day, I have had late night meals with at least 60% of y'all. Your pastors are available. And they are approachable. And, and I guarantee you, you can always come to your pastoral team, your elders, individuals in the body. There is ample opportunity in those frameworks, your pastoral team, your one-on-one, your mat group, to get questions just hammered out, to be prayed for in an, in an environment that doesn't bring dissension. Right? Not just asking everybody and just trying to find out, so who's going to agree with me? Okay, if I can get four people. So let me just see who's looking around. Who's this grunnel? Yeah, you got a frown. I'll talk to you after service. Um, who else can I talk to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's weird, man. But hold on. We all do that. We all get in a pain about something, and we go, I need to put people around me who think like me. That's what we do. That's common. That's natural. God wants us to be supernatural. So what we're trying to do is say in your one-on-one time, in your MAC group, and with your team, with your leadership, man, let's process things. But here's the thing. you got to want dialogue, right, not monologue. See, everybody want to come with their stuff, but then you give them scripture or you talk about it, or guess what? Or we agree to disagree in the sense that, Oh, you want to do that? Well, here's where we're going as a church. And now we can, we can spin that a whole myriad of ways. But I want to propose the way the early church spins it, and when you look at churches like Mark Devers, Mark 9, and all these other places, they would say that's when it's the responsibility of the believer, the layperson, to choose trust. Is that you, Mark Devers would say you absolutely cannot have a local body if the congregation doesn't have a spirit of trust. Because at that point, I was just reading some stuff, everything that the, the leadership does, they have to answer to you. Well, who are you? Why you put them in leadership? Because you really saying you want to be the leader. Why don't you just be the pastor? You see that? That takes great humility. Um, so, guys, there's, there's, here, here's this. There's many ways to do church, guys. Um, but, but here's the thing. It's not helpful to try to do all the different ways in lo- one local church. Okay? So just hear me. I, again, I'm telling you right now, our way is not the only way. There's, there's holes in the way we do things. But I'm proposing to you that there are other ways. And to try to say, okay, well, we want everybody to be satisfied. So we're going to do everything that everybody does in one church. We will lose our prophetic voice. We can't do that. At the end of the day, you know our model. You know what we're asking the Lord to be about. And we're saying, will you be about it with us? Unless you are starting a church, you are jumping, no matter where you go. If you're here, for sure, if you're here, you're jumping on a moving train. Train's already moving. We already decided what we're going to do. We already decided the vision. You can't, I'm just telling you, you can't come here talking about, I can't wait to get there to show them my vision. No, it's already done. 
We don't want to hear that. That makes us, well, now, are we saying you can't exercise your giftings and all that? Absolutely. I want to, man, put a, a wick on you and totally. But you're going to do it understanding in this rubric, in this framework. We're going to make disciples. Do you hear me, guys? Move and train. No church is perfect, uh, and no church um, will do things exactly the way we would. Now, I bring it up to say one last thing, and then we're going to go home. Um, and this, is, this is the kicker. This is the one, guys. When you think of leadership, be discerning between exhorting people because of sin, okay? Because if we're in sin, you need to exhort us. You hear me? Now, if you are at MacAver, you, you know I will sin against you, but you also know I'll repent. What, what, what bothers me is that we are a culture in America, and I think we have some of this, this framework in our local body, we exhort methodology. You can exhort, you can, you can rebuke sin. How do you rebuke methodology? You can't. You hear me? You have to wrestle with, okay, here's what they're doing. Am I down? We can ask discussions, but you can't rebuke it because it's not sinful. Everybody going, I can't? You can't. You can, you can record, yeah, you can correct those and you can, methodology so ask yourself, does it benefit the body and how I can bring up issues in a biblical framework? I'm trying to get us on this side because I think we, I, I'm, my heart is for us to just be thinking about these things biblically. Not now, again, your voice is clearly heard and you've seen that model in this body. We want to grow. We have, we, I don't know any other church has had as many forums as we've had. We're going to have another two forums in our discipleship retreat. We always sit and people are saying, this is what I think, and we're processing how do we do this better and how do we do this better. This is not, you, you've missed it if you're thinking, oh, so I can't say anything. No, I'm just being really clear that there's frameworks that God is asking you to submit to. And that's dangerous, and I know that's scary for us in our culture, but it's biblical. So the litmus test to obeying these things, guys, is simply this, is I just want you to think about this. Jesus does godly things. The flesh and Satan, they do evil things. And I... It's an, it's an issue of believing the best and trust and suspicion, right? Is that when you look at people in the body, when you look at me, if your natural tendency is suspicion, you, you should repent. Jesus is very clear that the disposition of the believer is to believe the best. The motivation of love, Corinthians 13 and we do that with everything. When you have suspicion versus trust, when you believe the best versus believe the worst, your whole, the way you view things has changed. My, my, my father-in-law accused me of, of looking at something that was uh, his, his property. And, uh, and, and just to give you an example, he, um, he, Sarah, he told my wife, he said, Sarah, you know, Eric did this. And, she, and he said, um, she said, no, he didn't. And he said, well, uh, she, she said, and she said, how do you know, Dad? Well, I don't know, but I know he did it because <laughs> you guys are the only ones in there, you and him. 
And she said, and, and, and he said, no, he said, I know he did it. And she said, well, Daddy, you asked me, and I told you no. He's like, I know you didn't do it because I asked you, and you said no. She was, like, she was like, well, you asked him, and he said no too. The only difference is, is you believe me and you don't believe him. It's the only difference. The only difference in that scenario was he chose the best in one narrative, and he chose the worst in another narrative. It wasn't like, I, I didn't believe him because dot, dot, dot. He had the same information with both people. Guys, I want to propose to you, whether, no matter what you do in life, I'm proposing 80% of your responses and how you do life is based on that premise. Will you believe the worst in somebody or will you believe the best in somebody? Will you go and motiv- be motivated by suspicion or will you be motivated by trust? And I am telling you right now, everything, most everything that you do will come out of that framework, the way you live life. So what do we need to do, guys? We need to commit ourselves to good theology, personally, corporately. Commit ourselves to putting to death the old self. And then finally, guys, we need to respond as a missionary. Um, I, I, Ephesians 6. You know what makes me most sad about, about opportunities like this, sad things when you, when you have this unfortunate situation like this in the body? What makes me most sad is that when you have issues that go on in the local body, is it hinders mission. It absolutely thwarts mission. It thwarts the very purpose of us being created. It thwarts the reason why we're here. Everyone's navel-gazing, everyone's depressed, and no one is about the kingdom. That's the saddest part of this. It's a lie. God is asking you today to quit looking at your navel. He's asking you today to ask him to give you the grace to quit being depressed. To quit trying to be in my shoes or someone else's shoes, as my friend said. Because that's very scary. God ain't asking you to be in no one's shoes. He's asking you to be about Jesus' business. He's asking you to be about the cross and the resurrection. He's asking you to be about hope and glory. He's asking you to be about proclaiming the good news of Christ to this community. He's asking you to be about the gospel in your family, to enjoy each other, to experience that radical joy that we have in Christ. That's what he's asking you to do. He's not asking you to try to figure out other people's problems. He's asking us to be a redemptive, clear picture of the gospel. That's what he's asking us to do. But Satan, definitely, if you can look at the verse, go to 10 verse, and um, go all the way to verse 20 to encourage you that you're living um, in, a, in a, man, Satan wants to destroy you. And here it talks about, therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand firm in the Lord is the whole point. Is that God is saying, hey, we have situations and this one is an unfortunate one. But what we have to choose to do as a local body, and I am encouraging you as your pastor, I am exhorting you, I'm asking you to choose to quit gazing on the situation and put your gaze on Jesus. Put your gaze back on why we are here why we neighbor, why we love, why we celebrate each other, why we are proclaiming the gospel to people who need Christ. That's why we're created. That's why we're here. That's why we love. That's why we're in proximity. Will it be messy? Absolutely. Will we get mad at each other? Absolutely. Should we and are we committed? Ought we to be committed? 
Absolutely. I am going to hurt you. You're going to hurt each other. I'm going to stand up here and say things that are unbiblical in sermons. When I do something and then you choose not to forgive me, I'm proposing that you think way too much of me. I'm jacked up just like you. The only reason I'm up here telling you stuff is because God is gracious. And he decided to do this. And I go back to my house and I struggle with the exact same things that every one of you struggle with. Don't think too much of me. Think much of Christ. Exalt the Lord in our community, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would provide a redemptive flair in our body, a flair where the heart is flesh and it's, it's beating and people are loving and caring and they're being vulnerable and they're being kind and we're believing the best and we're fighting for truth. And when people try to sow seeds of discord, seeds of dissension, seeds of, of, of gossip, or we find ourselves in the flesh wanting to do those things, Lord, would you graciously rebuke our hearts? Would you convict us and say, sweetheart, that's not what we're about. This is bigger than us. This is about the kingdom. Be about the kingdom. And give us the courage to, to point people to that kingdom expression, to tell people, no, we need to be proclaiming Christ. We don't need to be talking about her. We don't need to be talking about him. We don't need to be gazing on things that are out of our control, this gaze on redeeming our neighbors. Lord, we pray that this expression in this body will be a gospel expression. Lord, teach us to proclaim you with graciousness, with holiness. Lord, allow this body to be a clear picture of the gospel, the the holistic gospel, even if that makes us look totally stupid and weird to even other Christians. I pray you would do that. And Lord, give us the humility Lord, when we are being legalistic, when we are being ungracious, Lord, allow us to repent of our sin quickly. Allow us to see our tendencies, to see some of us are are prone to legalism. Some of us are prone to uh, uh, antinomialism, Lord. Some of us are prone to just apathy. Lord, allow us to see our dispositions and to ask you to allow us not to yield to those, but to yield to the Spirit. Lord, bring revival in our community. And allow it to start with the hearts in this room. Allow it to start with those who are in mad groups who are not here now. Allow it to start with the people of God with one voice saying, Christ is king, and I love him, and I love his people. In Jesus' name, amen.